Friday already. How's your Friday? Good if you're not living in a part of town that has students in it. Otherwise, you're still stepping over their stuff. And some of that stuff, it's getting a little nasty. It's getting a whole lot of wet. It's been out there for a little while. Bit by bit, it is being picked up. Students have moved out. But this is the lingering effect that we have each and every time this takes place. Each and every year, we have things that go on just like this, where you have all kinds of people who are putting their stuff that they don't need anymore at the end of the driveway or right at the curb. And, hey, it's students. If they have enough bags, great. If they don't have enough bags, it doesn't seem to matter a bit. They just lump it all in and then well, add a couch, add a chair, add a mattress. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We do happen to have something that is going to be happening at 2.30. We've got two very special guests coming into the studio. Chantal Kraviasek and Rain Maida are in town tonight. They are performing, and they have a new documentary that they have put together. And this, this is about as up close and personal as you can get. You're each other's emotional home. But you never come home. We need to take care of us. Because if we're good, everyone's good. The only way we can write this record is if we can be vulnerable. Maybe you could just not say that my idea is stupid. <laughs> That's coming up at 2.35. It's, it's as real as it gets. They are one of Canada's true music couples. Do you want to call them rock couples? How about this? Chantal, if I have the story right, and maybe they'll be nice enough to tell it. Chantal was in Winnipeg and was traveling to Toronto, and somebody happened to give her two tickets to a concert that night. It was a Pearl Jam concert. If Neil Young was playing at that concert, because sometimes he used to play with Pearl Jam, that would be as Canadian as it would get, because that's where they met. So you fly in from Winnipeg, you go to a concert that may have featured, I don't know, that's, that's maybe a story for years from now when you can add in pieces to the legend. You know, if enough, if enough time passes, you can add in pieces to the legend, right? Neil Young performing with Pearl Jam, and the two of them meet, and they've been together for two decades now, have three beautiful children, and they'll be in studio coming up. A little later on on London Live. We are also going to be talking about the Fleetwood Country Cruise Inn. We'll give you a chance to win tickets. We're going to be talking about camping, even though this is not the camping weather that you want. But provincial parks, what rules do we have to know? How does cannabis work into provincial parks? Here's something. If you have a degree in the social sciences, what's the old joke? You're going to get a job that asks, you want fries with that? That's an old joke. Well... Stop that joke, because a new RBC report has suggested that people with degrees in the social sciences are going to be in greater need. How? What? That's good news. We have a lot of people graduating from the social sciences, especially in this area, and now they're going to be in greater need. Why? 
Well, we're going to find that out in about an hour from now. So lots to do on the show today. We'll also talk about drive to play ball. If you have any used baseball equipment, don't bring in your junk. I have a dented bat. I don't even know what the kids were hitting with it a long, long time ago. That's not coming. But a whole lot of other baseball equipment from our garage and our basement, definitely coming. Tomorrow, Labatt Park between 10 and 4. You can bring it by, bring the kids. Kids can play baseball at Labatt Park. The majors are going to be there. Should be a fantastic day. And that's anytime tomorrow between 10 and 4. Drive to play ball. And the equipment is being collected and then will be given to kids who right now don't have their own baseball equipment. There has been a league that has been operating through Middlesex London Community Housing. And it's been fantastic for years. London Police Services have been involved with this. And you have... Housing unit versus housing unit. I mean, this this gets heated. And the issue that they were thinking was a lot of these kids don't have the benefit of having their own equipment. Maybe not even having their own bat and ball. So that when there's a game, that's fine. But they can't just go out and play because they just don't have their own equipment. So what if you made it possible for them to get their own equipment? And thank you to everybody who already this week has dropped stuff off, baseball equipment off, to our Chorus Radio London studios here at Wellington and King because that is greatly appreciated. That will be taken over, and you can join us too tomorrow between 10 and 2 at Labatt Park. Just walk on in, and we will make a big difference in this community. We talked about social science degrees. Well, some of the students that have picked up any kind of degree or some of the students who are still working on their degree or diploma, they have moved out and they have left behind all kinds of trash. This is an annual event in not just London, but any single city that happens to have a post-secondary institution because you have people who are living here for a period of time during the year. Usually eight months. They may pay their lease for 12 months. In fact, yeah, they pay their lease for 12 months. But they have eight months of living, and then it's move-out time, and they just kind of leave piles of trash littered all over the place. Now, the city has done a good job being prepared for this each and every year, but it still amounts to massive piles of trash. Is there a way to deal with this issue any better than how it has been dealt with year after year after year. Well, first, let's kind of paint a whole picture of this students moving out and leaving their trash behind issue. Joining us right now for the second time this week on London Live, the Director of Environmental Services and Solid Waste with the City of London, Jay Stanford. Jay, happy students moving out and leaving all that garbage behind them time of year. Although, maybe we shouldn't use the word happy. Mike, I, there's many times we're happy with students, with students here in the city, and I, I'll tell you, uh, this is not one of them. <laughs> for some <laughs> students, for some students. Well, anybody who has driven around areas where students do live has seen the typical, there's a couch, there's a chair, there's a mattress, there's a whole lot of garbage out there, and some of it doesn't even seem to be in bags. <sighs> This has to be frustrating for you, for your crews. How do you deal with a, a time of year like this? What do you guys do annually? Well, let, let me start off though here, Mike. Yes, it's frustrating, 
but I'll tell you, it's more frustrating for the people living in those areas. So let's get the right levels of frustration in order here. (laughs) This is what we do for a living. We pick up stuff. Uh, So this is part of what we do here at the city. Uh, And the university and the college both do their part to help out. The people who have to live in those areas, it's very frustrating, and we do hear from them. But I'll I'll tell you, people, when they finish their exams, the students want to leave town quickly. One of the last rituals is putting stuff to the curb. And when it's done correctly and near the collection day, you know, maybe one day before, that's a great student, and thank you, and there's some of those. It's the ones that just dump things at the curb, as you've described, loose garbage. I'll tell you, that is inappropriate, and we're, we're working on solutions, but they're not easy. We've got to work with the property owner to get those students to do it much better and much more safely. That's just it. I mean, it, ultimately, it comes down to hoping that the students will care for this. Some do, but not all of them do. Is there any repercussion against the students who, who don't, or are they sometimes long gone by the time this trash has been kicked to the curb? Well, and that's the biggest challenge. They are long gone. Some of them are never returning to London. Some of them are returning to different areas in London. The property owner has a tremendous amount of responsibility, and there's some excellent property owners. Then, of course, there's those that don't care either, right? And so this is a balance we deal with every year. So we come into the season knowing that there's going to be anywhere between five and ten days where there's going to be a lot of extra work required, there's going to be a lot of patience required, and there's going to be my overtime and added costs to the tune of anywhere between could be as low as 3000 upwards of $5,000 per year. Uh, that, that's, the, that's been the reality for the last many years. Council is aware of this challenge. They ask us, are there better solutions? And I'll tell you, I wish there was a magic wand, but there isn't. Hmm. Jay Stanford joining us from the City of London as we address student trash. And for anybody who lives in an area that does have students living in it and is wondering about, hey, when is all this stuff going to disappear? What can we tell them? Because like you highlighted, they're the most frustrated. Well, I think if you go into the communities today around the college and university, you'll find a measurable improvement. I would think by this weekend where the property owners have gone out to see the, you know, what's, what's left at the curve, have done their part to remove it, I would think by Monday we are 95% done this year's student move out. And it's just then dealing with the last few uh, households and, and remnants at the curve. I know that the university plans some additional work this weekend as well, too. So we're just about done for another year. Um, so, Mike, I think that's probably the best news of the day right now. Heading into the weekend, we're just about through this wave of student move out. We still have some households, and you can drive by them or even stop and look if you want to because it's a sight to see where it's, it's almost like the students have had three garbage bags left, and they've put enough garbage in the three bags, and then they've looked around the house and they've said, yeah, but we still have more garbage. And they just pile that garbage on top of the three bags and maybe stick a mattress or a couch on top of that. How is that dealt with? You, you can't possibly be picking up things that aren't even in bags. No, no, and, and, and we don't. And that, that's the challenge, though, because that will be left behind, and that is where we rely on the property owner to do his or her part to, to get the area back to normal. And that's what we hope is going to occur this weekend. Here's the other reality, though, Mike, is that during student move-out, we have an, a, a number of scavengers that go into those areas. So something put out 
the night before, we've noticed that a number of bags will be ripped open. And we're not blaming students for that. That is a scavenging problem, too. So there's that additional problem that occurs this time of year, too. So I'll tell you, I'll be glad when the middle of next week comes along. (laughs) (laughs) Now, are we talking human scavengers, or is this raccoon delight? Uh, A little bit of both, but yes, human scavenging. Uh, Absolutely. We we have chased vehicles in that area. Uh, They they come in, unfortunately, rip open bags, and and we'll leave some contents there. And yes, those uh, pesky raccoons uh, and skunks, they will do a number on a garbage bag as well, too. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. But you mentioned it. City Hall is aware of the problem. The city is aware of the problem. The college, university, everybody's aware of the problem. But that that easy fix, that just doesn't seem to be there. You can't just walk around handing out fines or things like that, can you? No, no. We, 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 we get cooperation from most. There are times when people are completely uncooperative, and, and we, we do have other tactics for that. But for the most part, though, that we find there is good cooperation. And every year, though, I'll tell you, people say, are there better solutions? We're, we're, we're open. We're, we are open for good ideas, absolutely, in those areas. And we know some of them have got to come from the property owners. They have to take accountability for students moving in and students moving out. And many do, and many don't, Mike. And it's the ones that don't that we've got to get. Uh, work harder on for next year. Yeah, you've always got those damage deposits. Maybe it needs to be a damage and stuff left behind deposit. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and when I look around, it's uh, other communities that they struggle with this too. And this is why I keep saying there's no magic wand. It, it is it is an ongoing struggle in other communities. Uh, we love the students, and so do the businesses, and then the revenues brought into the city. This is the time of year, though, that uh, it, it's just. Uh, a challenge, and it's unfortunately sometimes your last memory of all the good experiences with students in town. Mm. Well, for property owners in those areas, again, Jay has said it, it's almost over. And Jay, thank you for for what you do. In terms of adding crews and things like that, you mentioned this can be an additional three to $5,000. Is that just adding trucks and pulling stuff off and taking it out to where it needs well, to go? Uh, that, that, that's right, and that's uh, running some overtime late in the afternoon and uh, some pickups on uh, on the weekend as well, too. So we, we may have to even bring a, bring a truck in this weekend. So we'll be monitoring later this afternoon and uh, get a good sense of, of what's still out there. If there's a lot of big stuff, we will do our part to help out the community this weekend. All right. Jay, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. You are welcome. Jay Stanford, Director of Environmental Services and Solid Waste with the City of London. Any ideas? Anybody have any suggestions, especially if you live in a student-laden neighborhood? Could you do it with a damage deposit? I'm not even sure. We'd, we'd need to explore the life of a landlord of students, where if you have a damage deposit, you're walking around looking for all kinds of bumps and nicks and dents and things like that. But what about the garbage at the end? Can you tack that on? I'd love to know. Do you have any, anything that, that you can actually do as a landlord that will help to get this stuff away? Or is it just one of those things, if you are a landlord, you go and pick it up? Or if you are an incoming student, you got to be ready to pick up all your stuff. My daughter's moving into a place, and I went over there, and exactly the way Jay described it, it's nasty at the curb. Somebody has actually thought about taking a loaf of bread out. This must have been the last thing there. Thought about taking a loaf of bread out, but somehow 
the bread bag became open when they left the door and the bread started to spill out in hunks. And then it rained really hard the other night. Remember that? Yeah. And now it's it's kind of breaded slop. And that's the least disgusting thing to pick up. 519-643-2222. Sean, what do you have for us? Uh, yeah, so I've uh, I've been a landlord for quite a few years now. I've had students uh, for a number of years. I've got out of students now because of uh, that in particular, the garbage that's left behind, because it is, it is very hard to get students to pay for anything after they move out. Uh, a lot of the times, uh, some landlords will hold last month's rent, um, as a security deposit, but come the last month, that gets used. So then the landlord doesn't go in until after they've moved out. That's when they notice more of the damage, and then they try to send them a bill and just hope for the best that they pay it uh, if there's any damage. But with the Landlord and Tenant Act, it, uh, it protects the tenants more than it protects the landlords. Really? Now, yeah. there used to be damage deposits, if I remember it right. We used to have to do first and last and a damage deposit. Do you still collect things like that? Uh, it, it's become harder and harder now because the market's been so saturated with rentals now that landlords tend to not uh, ask for that damage deposit because they want to rent out their, their units. So they just do your first and last month's rent and technically use your last month's rent as that damage deposit, which a lot of the times doesn't end up being that damage deposit if the landlord doesn't go in basically the month before they move out. Hmm. So, so it's kind of, it's hard for landlords to really get any money out of tenants at the end because of the landlord and tenant act that doesn't really protect us at all. Like even if they were to damage and everything or not pay for us to evict a tenant, we have to jump through hoops and hoops and hoops just to get someone out. And it's, it's a pain for us and they're protected, but we're not. Hmm. And so would you basically say that this time of year, you used to have to just go and grab up a good supply of great big garbage bags and head on over and clean up the slop? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, you're calling the, the junk removal guys like junk junkie and stuff like that. And to come over and clean up for you. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a pain, but it's, it's sometimes the price you pay for being a landlord. And being a landlord, you say you've gotten out of renting to students, but was it, was it worth it while you were in it? Yeah. So with, with students, you normally rent out by the room. So you can rent out a four bedroom house by the room, making four, five, six hundred dollars a room, where if you rent out the whole house, as a whole, to like a family, normally you're renting out the house and it's not adding up those individual rooms. So technically get less of a rent for a family than you would for a student rental. Gotcha. Well, Sean, thanks so much for calling in and, and explaining all the behind-the-scenes stuff for us. No, thank you. Have a good one. All right, take care. That's good stuff. And ultimately, it does fall to the landlord or the new tenants. I mean, if the new tenants arrive before the landlord does, you're going to be scooping it up. I'm bringing a snow shovel. That's what it looks like out front of my daughter's place. I'm going to need a snow shovel in order to get the stuff out of there unless it's been taken away. And the problem is, it, it was the same example that we used for Jay Stanford, 
They seemed to have three garbage bags, but then they had more garbage. And they put that on top of the bags. That doesn't count. And then you cover it up with a mattress or a chair or a couple of old cushions. And it rains. This has been a really rainy week. It is, it's nasty. But this is something every municipality goes through. And as Jay Stanford outlined, there is no good solution. If somebody finds that magic wand, could you give us a call? We'll tell Jay. He'll be happy. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The weather is getting better, right? No, it isn't. Well, it will. That much we can really hope for. It is a little bit warmer than it used to be, at least. Doesn't feel like minus five with the wind chill. We had that last week. We have short memories when it comes to the weather. But it will get nicer, and that call to the campgrounds will come, won't it? If you like camping, May 2-4 weekend isn't very far away. If you do, though, do you remember the rules for campfires or booze on site? Or what about marijuana? Can you smoke pot on your campsite? Can you go to the beach and light up a joint? I don't know. Well, we're going to find that out. Because May 2-4 weekend is coming, and there are special restrictions, of course, for that weekend. But it's difficult to remember, oh, can I light a fire? Can it be in the fire pit? Can I drink a beer and walk over to another campsite drinking that beer? Do I, how do, what? Let's figure all of this out. We're going to do that in about eight minutes from now as we talk with Sheila Weeb, who looks after all of southwestern Ontario when it comes to the province's provincial parks. And we are going to give you a chance to win tickets to the Fleetwood Country Cruise. And we'll even check in with Steve Plunkett. Do you know how this began? Do you know the story behind it? If you don't, we will before the next half hour is up. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The Canadian Football League sure is trying to put out the good news vibes. They had a draft last night, their annual 2019 draft. We had a Londoner taken. We had two Western Mustangs taken. That was very good. But now the CFL has come out with an announcement today. And the reason that this becomes humorous, I guess, I don't know. It's not even humorous because I hate when this stuff happens. The collective bargaining agreement is... Gone. It's done. They're looking to reach a new one. And May 18th has been put as kind of a drop dead date where the union would not have players doing anything beyond there. So there is a real chance for a work stoppage. The union took a strike vote last week. It was over 97% in favor of a strike. And so now the CFL has come out today and said, hey, guess what? The Grey Cup has a new base. Still trying to do the good news stuff. I credit them for it. That's that's trying, but ultimately it will be only a deal between the league and the players' union that makes things truly happy. Right now, it's a lot like conditions at campsites. It's a little mucky. It's a little murky. It's definitely a little damp. We're hoping that that changes because there are a lot of fantastic spots if you like to camp to go to in and around this province. And we wanted to kind of get a refresher on rules as camping season begins. So if you're planning on camping this weekend, can you answer this question? Can you have a fire on your campsite? Go. That might be an easier one. How about can you have open alcohol on your campsite? Can you have it anywhere else? 
And then the real door number three in all of this, how does marijuana work? It was legalized basically on October 17th last fall. That's usually long after people have ended camping season. So how are campsites in this province dealing with marijuana? That's something we can find out as well. Because joining us, we have Sheila Weeb, who is a park marketing specialist at Bronte Creek Provincial Park, but oversees all of southwestern Ontario's parks. So you ask a question, Sheila's got the answer to it. Sheila, I know we've had some more rain, but are things starting to dry out even a little bit around the provincial parks? Starting to. Mother Nature's not been very kind to us this spring. Um, many of our parks um, are doing better than others in northern Ontario and, and areas, but uh, there are still some trails and some sites, campsites, specific campsites, that will be closed um, due to the wet conditions, but uh, that'll be listed on the website. And just, yeah, it's, it's spring. Come on. You know, it's either going to be a little bit muddy or rainy. I mean, we're campers. We're used to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if people are getting that itch, where do they find that website that has that list? Right. So on OntarioParks.com and on the front page, there'll be a list of those parks around the province that have delayed openings because of the extended winter season. <laughs> um, and then when you go on to make a reservation, you click the reservation page and it will, those, the sites that are um, too wet to camp on will be closed. Um, so they'll have a big red X on those sites and they won't be available. Sheila Weeb with us. Park marketing manager with Bronte Creek Provincial Park and also someone who looks after the entire southwest region. So she knows our parks very, very well. Sheila, when we go to camp in parks, there are things that we always seem to wonder about and can't really remember the rules to. So I think we need your help. One is fire, so we'll get to that. Uh, Then we have alcohol. And now we have a third thing, which would be cannabis that we'll get to. So uh, actually, why don't we start there? How has the legalization of marijuana in this country changed things in provincial parks in this province? Right. So the there is a smoke-free act from 2017 that contains rules about uh, tobacco and cannabis, and the C- Cannabis Control Act from 2017 contains rules about specifically cannabis, which applies to the provincial parks. So um, you're allowed to have alcohol and uh, cannabis smoking, vaping on your campsite. Um, but there's rules against um, areas that are, um, you know, playgrounds and such so that uh, you're not allowed to be within a certain distance of any playground. And those are mostly um, signed. We have put signs up around beaches, playgrounds, uh, you know, um, tennis courts, those sorts of things that where kids and families would be hanging out. So it has caused a, a little bit of, um, you know, it's any with any change, there is some uh, concern. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, haven't heard about any difficulties that we've had with the changes. So you could smoke cigarettes, you could vape, you could use a jewel, you could smoke marijuana all on your campsite. That's that's a safe rule of thumb. Correct. Yeah, and for the long weekend coming up. Um, We've had the alcohol ban for many years now to try and keep things family-friendly on that opening weekend because it tends to be, um, you know, it's the first long weekend and uh, everybody sort of gets a little out of control at at times. So we 
um, know that we want to keep that um, family friendly. Absolutely. We're talking with Sheila Weeb, Park Marketing Manager with Bronte Creek Provincial Park, also in charge of the entire Southwest region. So you mentioned alcohol at times, often on long weekends. We have alcohol bans. Is that is that kind of a good rule of thumb, too? If it's a long weekend, there's a ban on alcohol? Um, actually, just for the first long weekend. And it uh, starts um, on May 10th, I want to say, and then goes through until the 20th of May. So it just covers that those first couple of weekends um, of the of the you know quote unquote camping season and that first long weekend. Otherwise, you're fine. Good old May two four. Now with alcohol yeah. regulations, <laughs> you can you can have alcohol, you can consume alcohol when there isn't a ban on your campsite. Can you wander around or go to the beach with alcohol, or is that no, not permitted? No. See, the thing is, so it, because your campsite is your temporary home that allows you to um, consume alcohol as if it was your house or home. Um, As soon as you step off of your site or onto actually someone else's site, that can cause problems. So if you're having friends over to your site, you become responsible as you would as a homeowner to things that happen on your site. Interesting. I like that. And that's easy to picture. The, the, The tent or the trailer becomes your home. Yeah. Okay. And so, no, you're not allowed to have alcohol um, on the beaches or any other picnic areas. It's, so the day picnics that take place, no alcohol is permitted at, at those because you're only there temporarily as a day visitor, not an overnight. Gotcha. Okay, so that covers off cannabis. It covers off alcohol. Uh, let's get to fires. How do fires right. get regulated in 2019 on campsites? Interesting. Yes. So you're allowed to have a campfire within the designated fire pit. Um, And unless like last year we had um, fire bans and such because things were so dry. Um, So that'll be be notified. You'll have a, um, most campers will know that there's a fire ban in the area or they'll be notified when they make a reservation that there's a restriction. Uh, But normally uh, as long as it's within the fire uh, pit and within a reasonable height, uh, not any huge bonfires or anything, um, then you're fine. Okay. Anything else you think we need to know to kind of get us ready for camping season? Well, it's always good. The um, no excessive noise at any time. Um, there's areas of the campsites that are sometimes radio free or dog free. Just, you know, it's always nice. You know, we say it's like common sense, but if it was, we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, just, being a nice neighbor, keeping the music down, keeping the, the conversations around the campfire at a um, you know reasonable uh, tone sort of thing. Um, sound does carry extremely well um, at night, and people just don't understand that necessarily. We know it's your one time to maybe um, go on vacation, but it's uh, people are needing to have their sleep as well. Well, Sheila, we really appreciate all the tips. Enjoy camping this season. May the bugs uh, not be with you. Right, exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila Weeb, Park Marketing Specialist at Bronte Creek Provincial Park, overseeing all of southwestern Ontario. You know tomorrow is Star Wars Day, May the 4th, be with you. It will be May the 4th. So that comes tomorrow as well. You may find yourself at a campsite, and those are the rules. So fire in the pit, you treat your tent or your camper or your trailer as your home. And if you think about it that way, eh. You'd be all right. Plus, you know what? There's always been a little bit of leeway, and that's important.
Everybody's out there to enjoy, but enjoy responsibly, right? We'd love to say, hey, go tent diving. Don't go tent diving. There is no tent diving to be done. In a moment, we are going to talk about something coming up a little later on this month, and we'll give you opportunity to win tickets to that very thing, the Fleetwood Country Cruising. Do you know how that got started? Well, the man responsible for it, Steve Plunkett, is our next guest on London Live. He's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up in about 20 minutes... If you know someone who is going through for a degree in the social sciences and they've been taking a whole lot of guff, is that a thing you take anymore or is that a thing you took in the 50s and 60s? Pretty sure you took guff in the 50s and 60s. They may be taking it now or some variation thereof. Don't go through with a social sciences degree. You want fries with that? That's always the joke. Don't let that be a joke because there is a new report out from RBC and it talks about Canadians And what it calls the skills revolution. That sounds big. And what it looks at is what people are going to be in demand in the future. Because ultimately, that's what you want to do. That's why the trades have become as big as they have. And it's a great idea for people to make sure they're going into a trade where there is a need. What did we hear about a few months ago on London Live? Elevator repair person. They don't have enough. If you want to go through for something in the trades, right now, elevator repair person is a big need. You would have a job. You might even have your own company. So what exactly is bringing degrees in the social sciences back into form? What what is that about? We're going to find that out in about 20 minutes from now. We'll also talk more about drive to play ball and... In about 45 minutes, Chantal Kreviatic and Rain Maida. They are husband and wife. They are a powerful couple when it comes to talent. And they're going to be in studio because they're going to be playing tonight at the Aeolian Hall. Doors will open at 7. Last I checked, there weren't many tickets left, if any. So get some before they are sold out. Because Chantal Kreviatic and Rain Maida have put together something new. They started working on a project years ago, and it's taken on the name Moon vs. Sun. But they have a documentary that's called I'm Going to Break Your Heart. And it is as real as it gets for any couple. This could be your neighbors putting this together. That's how real it comes across. Now, it would be your neighbors if they were major recording artists, because a lot of it does kind of factor in that element of their lives, but it's about their relationship. It's about what they have to go through to kind of keep things going in in a family life with a lot of the pressures that they deal with of touring and, and being away and having to come into studios when they're not able to be together like they will be today. So that's coming up as well. Right now, we have Steve Plunkett joining us because the Fleetwood Country Cruising comes up May 31st, June 1st, and June 2nd. So mark that weekend off your calendar because there is a whole lot going on. And the best way to find out more about it is to talk to Steve himself. Steve, how are things? Very good. This is the time uh, of year when uh, working on the car show is full time now. Uh, every 
every day right up to the event. That's pretty amazing. Okay, because you have been doing this now. This is the 15th annual, and you have been doing this now well over a decade. And when we go back to the start of this, this wasn't really an everyday thing. In fact, is it true this this just kind of happened, just kind of came together? It did. It uh, it started with a sixty car get together and two cases of Coke, and I I enjoyed uh, doing it. And uh, I thought, well, we should uh, we should uh, extend this into an actual car show. So uh, a couple of years later, I I invited a few people, and uh, four hundred cars came the next year. And in the third year, I thought, well, I'm going to try some uh, advertising, radio included. And I truly believe to this day I hosted the largest uh, uh, traffic jam in the city's history. And, uh, we, and that's the year we went into parking lots. So we, we haven't had that problem since. So, so uh, traffic flows quite nicely now. If you go back to that day, you mentioned the largest traffic jam. Did people eventually just park and start to walk around? Oh, they did. They, uh, they parked the entire length of uh, West Elborn, north and south from Oxford, down to Number 2 Highway, down Byron Baseline Road, uh, all up and down Elviage. Uh, it, was, um, it was just wild. And uh, so we couldn't repeat that again for safety. So that's when we went into the east and west parking lots, which are run by charities as well. So it worked out uh, quite well. Uh, that's amazing. Now, do you still use the same kind of format, those same parking lots? Oh, yes. Yeah, the, West, the East parking lot is run by the Boys and Girls Club and Sari, uh, and the West parking lot is run by London Regional Cancer Center, and all the, all the revenue from those lots go to those three charities. We're talking with Steve Plunkett about the Fleetwood Country Cruise-In of 2019, which is getting closer, end of the month, and as always, you wind up bringing in people you think, wow, I... I had no idea. How do you get all of these particular acts to come in? You've got Tony Orlando coming in. You've got a lot of acts that maybe people haven't even thought of in years. Yeah, it, um, it's been exciting. The, um, I love the music as much, the old music as much as I do the old cars. And we've had everybody from Beach Boys and Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and uh, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas and Little Anthony and the Imperials and uh, Peter Noon and Herman Hermits and everybody's been here and and even daytime celebrities like uh, Batman, Adam West, and uh, Julie Newmar, Catwoman, the original Bat Helicopter, which they arrived in. Um, so many uh, automotive celebrities and TV show celebrities. Dukes of Hazard have all been here. American graffiti celebrities have been here. So it's really fun to put that all together. And uh, and that's we have the same uh, kind of a lineup this year as well. Well. Friday night, Paul Revere's Raiders, Mitch Ryder, Peter Rivera, Gary Lewis, and the Playboys. Uh, this is, are are a lot of these acts still actually playing music, or do you give them a call and they say, "You know what, Steve, we're coming. We'll 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 start it back up again." Oh no, they're still active. A lot of these guys, you know, we think they're a hundred years old, but some of them were actually, you know, in their early twenties or even teens when they had their hit. So they still got some mileage in them for uh, for entertaining, and uh, so there a lot of them are still quite active. And then we'll tie yellow ribbons. Tony Orlando is coming. You uh, you putting up some yellow ribbons by any chance? Twenty six trees from uh, the main estate down to the uh, to the east end of uh, the street, 
and I've already got the ribbons to put up. <laughs> That's amazing. Trees. Yeah. Steve Plunkett joining us as we talk about the Fleetwood Country Cruise-In, which happens from May 31st until June the 2nd. And we have to mention what you have turned this into, because it's it's fun to talk about all the things that you have going on, but you're also benefiting charities. Can you tell us how all of that works? The um, We've had up to 33 charities per car show benefiting from the event. And um, uh, this year, I think it's about 24 charities benefiting directly. I, I never charge a charity to be there. And they, they often perform some sort of a function. So uh, I mentioned the parking lots is one. Uh, that's three charities. And uh, we have service clubs, Hyde Park Lions Club. Um, or, or sorry, Hyde Park uh, Optimus. Uh, we've got Kamoka um, uh, Optimus, uh, the largest food vendors, and... Uh, and, uh, you know, they all perform a different function. And so we've, uh, my estimation at the end of this show will be at about a million seven hundred and fifty thousand real dollars that have been raised for area charities at a car show, which is crazy for a car show. That's amazing. Plus, I mean, we're talking about a public event. Everybody is welcome. And you're holding it on a, a private location. Does anyone ever tap you on the shoulder and say, Steve, do you realize what you're doing here? Yeah, that's the unusual thing. It's on a private estate, and uh, I call our place the most public-private residence in Canada. Uh, just about everybody has been there, and uh, for for the dog events, uh, Humane Society, and uh, Palooza, and, and the car show, and that type of thing, and and uh, we enjoy opening it up to people like that. Well, let's make that happen right now, because we have a pair of tickets that we can give away. And we mentioned earlier on in the interview how many years Steve Plunkett has been organizing the Fleetwood Country Cruise in. If you can call right now and let us know how many years that is, and it is okay to guess, right, Steve? Is it okay? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Steve says it's okay to guess, but if you heard it earlier, give us a call right now, 519-643-2222, and you will have an opportunity to win those tickets. Steve, best of luck getting all of the other details ready to go. We're under a month and can't wait for this to arrive. Thank you very much. It should be fun. Steve Plunkett from the Fleetwood Country Cruise Inn. We will take a quick break, get those guesses coming in, or if you know, then let us know. 519-643-2222, and you can find yourself with tickets to the Fleetwood Country Cruise Inn. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up. The RBC report on Canadians and the skills revolution. What skills are going to be needed in the workplace? Looks like if you have a degree in the social sciences, you might have those skills. We'll have details. We'll talk about drive to play ball tomorrow between 10 and 2. And Rain Maida and Chantal Kreviazic joining us in hour two of London Live as well. Time for news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. What made Wayne Gretzky such a good hockey player? He knew where the puck was going. If you want to find success in life, it's sometimes necessary not to see where everything is, but to see where everything is going. Wouldn't we love to be able to predict that in the stock market? Good luck. It's not easy. 
but certain trends that you can look to can help you to predict where you should be focusing your attention, especially if you are looking for a job. And there is a new report out from RBC, and it's pretty interesting. It's entitled, Humans Wanted, How Canadian Youth Can Thrive in the Age of Disruption. And we'll see how much this trends toward youth and how much maybe it trends toward anybody looking for a job in the workplace or looking to make sure that they keep a job in the workplace. And it suggests that there is a shift in this country. So... In order to see that shift, sometimes you have to have that IQ of Wayne Gretzky. Sometimes you just have to be listening to the right people. John Stackhouse is a senior vice president in the office of the CEO at RBC and has been nice enough to join us to talk about this shift that has been seen in this latest report. John, thanks so much for being here. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. John, we have been in a jobs economy. If there is a shift to happen in Canada, what would the shift go to? It's already going to what we call the skills economy. And the difference between the skills economy and and, and the jobs economy is that you're identified much more by the skills that you have rather than your job. And that actually creates more opportunities because you can move around to lots of different jobs using the same skills, but adding adding as you go. Okay, that sounds like a nice, flexible place to be. It's the way the world is today and is becoming more so. Uh, largely positive. There's some interesting challenges that go with it. Okay, well, we'll talk but about yeah, some of those challenges. More mobile. Okay, we'll talk about some of those challenges in a minute, but I guess one big thing to ask is, is this country ready for it? Are Canadians ready for something like that? No, no, and that was a, a key message in our report. We, I was able to cross the country over the last year talking to thousands of Canadians, and it was a message I heard loud and clear from students, from employers, even from educators, a recognition that we're not where we need to be. We can get there, uh, but we don't have a lot of time to, uh, to change. We've got to recognize the rest of the world is changing really quickly and is getting into the skills economy in a more ambitious way than we are. So uh, we, we hope our, our report sends that signal to Canadians uh, that we're good at what we do, but we got to up our game. Okay. What sorts of things are we not doing that we need to be doing then? First of all is understand understanding what we call foundational skills. So uh, things like collaboration and communication and critical thinking and the value that those have in almost any job right across the economy. And we're seeing more demand for those what we call human skills, uh, not less. Uh, so we have to, to, to understand and recognize those in each of us and the people we're hiring and how we're developing people. Then we've got to understand the skills that we all need to be adding as we go, and this is critically important in the digital age. It doesn't mean you have to be a digital whiz of what you do, but you know, if you're a welder, you're going to have to have algebra, for instance. If you're a farmer, you're going to have to have data analytics. Uh, that's the way the economy is kind of going today and is going to move really quickly in the 2020s. Isn't it amazing to hear that there are trades outside of being a mathematician that would require you to have algebra? That's it. Kids, it never goes away. It, it doesn't. We found in, you know, we developed our own algorithms to study 2 million job postings across Canada, across 300 occupations, and found in 70% of the job postings, math, numeracy, 
was a requirement. This doesn't mean you need to be a mathematician, but pretty much three-quarters of the jobs out there require numeracy. So you bang on, it doesn't go away. We're talking with John Stackhouse, who is a senior vice president in the office of the CEO at RBC. And we're looking at a new report that says humans wanted how Canadian youth can thrive in the age of disruption. And John has outlined that a shift is already taking place that moves from a jobs economy to a skills economy and that we aren't necessarily there. Now, you described we need human skills. So if we're looking at critical thinking, what sorts of avenues, what sorts of, of I guess, course outlines are giving us human skills? One of the arguments we make in our report and in a follow-up study called Bridging the Gap is that we need to recognize the value of liberal arts training. We've cut liberal arts programs across the country over the last quarter century uh, and done more in STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Nothing against STEM. We do need to do even more than we're doing, but we've also got to do more with uh, liberal arts uh, and the wonderful foundations that a lot of liberal arts programs lay uh, with these with these uh, basic skills, these human skills, like critical thinking. I like to tell the story of one of our top artificial intelligence people at, uh, at RBC who has a PhD in comparative literature, uh, and it's actually 17th century comparative literature, and she is incredibly smart, but it's wonderful to see her go into business meetings and explain to uh, you know, market traders from around the world how artificial intelligence today is really rooted in 17th century comparative literature. It makes perfect sense. And so what she trained for allows her now to run a multi-million dollar business for RBC. That sort of thing is going on around the world, and we have to take advantage of that here in Canada. How do you make that jump? How do you identify or become identified that, hey, I may have a degree or a PhD in this case in comparative literature, but you know what? I can run this multi-million dollar facet of this company. I am the right person. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a a great question. In fact, I I had some numbers on here at RBC and found out that 13 of our in, in the top echelon of our executive team here have BAs. Uh, now they may have added to the BAs with like an MBA, but they, they, their education is built on a foundation of liberal arts, everything from philosophy to geography to to fine arts. So how do you make that transition? Uh, and that's really what we're trying to get at in, in the report is that we all have to be kind of ready for an age of mobility. Uh, in terms of uh, work transitions, and they're positive transitions if you if you control your your destiny. Step number one, which we're really pushing, is is a concept called work integrated learning, which is like co-ops, internships, apprenticeships. This has to be available for every Canadian student. Uh, it should be an essential part of the Canadian education system, so that even if you're studying philosophy or fine art, part of your education is spending a meaningful term or whatever the length of time may be in an organization that's relevant to, to, to what you're doing. And that helps you learn. We all learn by doing. And younger generations are much more inclined that way than, than maybe older generations were. Uh, but more than just learn, learning by doing, it also opens your eyes. It exposes you to different fields of, of, of work and opportunity. You may find out that something you really dreamed of doing and uh, feel you have a passion for actually isn't quite right for you 
when you go to a work term there. And then you can course correct, literally course correct, back at, at, at school and save yourself sort of graduating and trying to get a job in a field that maybe isn't right for you. Uh, so we're pushing this, this idea of work-integrated learning. And then secondly, we're, we're, we're advocating a much more ambitious approach in Canada to lifelong learning. When we all leave school, that's not the end of our education. In fact, it should be the beginning of a new chapter or many new chapters in education. And we should be all taking the time through the decades to develop new skills that allow us to move from job to job, maintaining our skills. That's critical for the skills economy. But moving into new jobs, many of which probably don't exist today. The jobs 10 years from now, lots of them, maybe most of them, aren't jobs that exist today. So we've got to help people be prepared for that. John Stackhouse, Senior Vice President in the Office of the CEO, joining us as we talk about an RBC report that you can check out, Humans Wanted, How Canadian Youth Can Thrive in the Age of Disruption. John, is that the new reality that we are always going to hear, hey, the jobs that may be very popular don't exist now, but but you, you still have to somehow be ready for them. I guess that kind of highlights the move to that skills economy, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we, we've uh, done a lot of analysis of the Canadian labor market and figure roughly half the jobs out there today are at risk of some degree of disruption. They're not going to disappear. Uh, in fact, we believe there's going to be more jobs, not less, uh, over, the next, uh, over the next decade, and that's going to be an interesting challenge. But there are going to be different jobs. The skills required, even for the jobs that exist today, will be significantly different and then there's going to be lots of new jobs uh, that we might not even be able to imagine here in 2019, but we've got to be prepared with those foundational skills for those jobs when they come along, or better yet, be the people creating those jobs, creating those opportunities. Well, it was about 10 years ago that Australia said something along those lines that we've got 500,000 jobs disappearing in our country, but don't worry, there's a million jobs coming, but they haven't been thought of yet. And then you fast forward and you think, well, take a look around us. Who knew half of these things would exist? Because some of the things that we're using didn't exist back then. So it is happening. It's been fascinating to take a look at this. John, thank you so much. Anything you want to leave us with in terms of this report? We're excited about the opportunity for Canada. We think we've got a great moment as a country. It's not going to last forever, so we've got to take advantage of this moment and invest in our education system, but push it for change. And uh, we've all got to be part of that change uh, and that transition into the skills economy. Well said. It's a great report. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's John Stackhouse. RBC report about Canadians and the skills revolution saying, yeah, take a look. It's moving from something that has been, in a way, stationary, a jobs economy. Here are the jobs, let's fill them, to a skills economy where it's, here's what I can do, now I'll find the job that I fit into. So it is a big transition Are we ready? Well, we've got some institutions that spend a lot of time focused on co-ops. Waterloo does that. Waterloo has really jumped in with both feet on co-ops to the point that if you're a student in Waterloo, you're renting a house for four months and then leasing it for four months to somebody else who's on a different rotation so that you are going and you are trying these jobs. It's a fantastic way to learn. And as John said, it allows you to see here's what the job is. I mean, 
job shadowing is something if you, if you if you meet somebody and they're young or you meet somebody and they're looking at changing jobs and they say here's what I'm thinking of getting into first question should be have you lived a day in the shoes of a person doing that job and if not Let's make a phone call. Let's find somebody who will allow you to job shadow so that you can actually get your head around what they are doing and how it's being done and whether or not you have the skill set to make that happen. That is so key. We should have job shadows everywhere. And I'm pretty sure we do. It's just a matter of asking for it. If you want something, got to ask for it. But very interesting to see that move from jobs economy to skills economy, something we need a lot more focus on. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk about something happening tomorrow between 10 and 2 at Labatt Park. You can take part in it, and it promises to change some lives. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Drive to play ball happens tomorrow at Labatt Park between 10 and 2. Not long ago, we had a chance to talk with Constable Chris Golder from London Police Services, Tim Smock and Angela Sarah from London Middlesex Community Housing, and Georgia Williams. And in studio, they came, and Tim Smock actually outlined what drive to play ball is looking to do tomorrow. You know, in terms of equipment, we want uh, youth to be able to have all the basic needs that you would want to be able to play the great game of baseball. So that could be everything from the old bat to a good mitt um, to any other things that that you may have um, that you think our young people could use uh, to play the wonderful game of baseball. So even I'm thinking cleats. Are cleats okay? So I'm just going to jump in there a little bit. If we get equipment that we can't use, so our players don't use cleats, uh, there's a great organization called Cleats for Kids mm-hmm. that we would donate equipment and make sure that it gets uh, distributed among other organizations so that other people can use all this stuff. So we could bring cleats. We bring anything. Us- we will, we have, we're working with all kinds of other um, great partners to make sure that this equipment finds uh, someone that's going to be able to enjoy it and use it. If we're looking at at sizes, would this be targeted to kids? Would it be kids and adults? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking I got a size nine and a half cleat at home that I think it's in that shoe bin. Uh, I'm going to be bringing those that day. Is that okay, those sizes? That's absolutely great. So we're looking uh, for kids aged uh, 8 to 12 that play. But if it doesn't fit somebody or it doesn't work, then we're going to just pass that on and make sure somebody else is going to get some good use out of that. We're talking about drive to play ball. And this is part of something that has been going on for 25 years now. But it's taking a different look this year in that the idea is to get kids who may not have access to gloves, to bats, to balls, to any of the equipment needed to play baseball, get them their own equipment. And it's happening at Labatt Park, May the 4th, 10 till 2. There are some great sponsors involved in this. Colin Hopper and Source for Sports, thank you for helping out on this. Baseball Life 463, I love the name because it's a 463 double play, right? That's good. That's very good. And Georgia, you've been able to take part in not all of the 25 years. No. I don't think you yourself are 25. Um, I but am. You are. Okay. Am. Well, just probably, right? Yes. Okay. Thought so. So you haven't been there for all the 25 years, but you've been able to take part in this. What has this been like? So I started um, when I was a little bit younger, so about seven, a little bit earlier than the eight. Um, And my sister was actually part of the baseball league as well. My mom helped run it as a volunteer. So my family's been in the rookie league situation for a very long time. Um, Growing up, it was a great bonding experience between me, my other people in the complex, other complexes in general, and a great bonding experience between me and the officers there. 
So what did the rivalry become like between the complexes? Did, did things <laughs> things get a little heated sometimes? Was this something that when you went out, this was a day to win? We got to be realistic. We're all competitive. <laughs> so we all want to win for our complex. Even so, the coaches. Yeah, even the coaches <laughs> telling you to run faster, yeah. hit that ball a little bit further. It was a great bonding experience between everyone, even though it's like that rivalry between like different complexes. It's still a good time to go out and get those kids to bond with people that they wouldn't normally get along with. And that's the whole thing. With your family helping to run this, what did you hear from kids playing this? We all loved it. So we look forward to the summer because once school's done, we know it's rookie league season. (laughs) (laughs) So would this be something that you did on a monthly basis? Uh, How often would Um, it happen? So it was during the summer months, so July, August, those times. Um, And pretty much as soon as school would end, you would start getting your rookie league team together and learning how to practice, when practice was, and game days and situations like that. You mentioned your relationship with the police officers who were involved in this. How profound an effect did that have on your life? Because what are you doing right now? I'm actually in police foundations. So um, I had two female officers coaching my team, and those were two women that I looked up to and I wanted to be like. And... Now I'm on the path to becoming like them. They are great assets to my future. So, And someday you may be in that position and you may be someone who is a mentor for somebody else. And the cycle continues. I love when the cycle can continue. <laughs> well, that's that's phenomenal. In terms of, of being able to, to go out and, and take part in something like this, what do you think that did for you, being able to be competitive like that? Um, it was a great experience because when you have kids that don't get to – release their energy elsewhere it's a great place to let them know okay this is a safe spot you can take it out on the ball take it out on the bat (laughs) not each other but (laughs) it's a great way to get that energy out and then like i said create that bond between each other and the police because that was a great stepping point especially for at-risk kids it's great to know like no the police are not against us we're with them as well We're talking with Georgia Williams, Angela Sarah, Tim Smock, Officer Chris Golder is with us. We're talking about Drive to Play Ball, which comes up May the 4th from 10 to 2 at Labatt Park. And Georgia has just outlined some of the benefits that you get from this. And the idea this year is to find equipment that maybe isn't being used, that is still in good shape, and is something that can be made use of by kids, not just when there are games. Put together your own practices. Get out on the sandlot like we used to. Those Does anybody? You guys are all too young. All of you guys in here are too young to remember the old sandlot. That was a good place to play. <laughs> When we look at, at what exactly, again, that this is, is helping to do, Tim, can you, can you illustrate, you know, the, the involvement with London Middlesex community housing and, and how that has been impacted? Yeah, absolutely. I think Rookie Ball has always spoken to our organization's mission to try to invest in our families. And our relationship with the London Police has been foundational for us. Um, You know, obviously working closely with them to show our young people that they can achieve anything that they want. And I think for us, a lot of middle-sex community housing, that's a message that we want to keep pushing forward to all of our young people, all of our families, and all of our family sites, and all the rest of our tenants to say, 
you can do whatever it is that you want to do and you can be successful. And so really what this relationship has been for 25 years now has been how can we show young people that you can be leaders in our community, that you can learn some valuable life skills through sport, learn a bit of positive competitiveness, uh, but at the end of the day, be proud of your neighborhood. We can certainly change in our community how we talk about young people who come from those areas. And those communities have something beautiful to offer. And every uh, July and August when we're out there, we're playing ball, it showcases that. Tim Smuck from Middlesex London Community Housing. Tomorrow, drive to play ball. Please take part and let's get some stuff that you may not be using into the hands of kids who can use it on a daily basis. Gloves, cleats, jerseys, balls, bats, you name it. If it looks baseball-related, bring it to Labatt Park at some point between 10 and 2 tomorrow and hang out. We've got baseball going on. You can play at Labatt Park. The majors are there. Should be a blast. That's tomorrow, 10 to 2 at Labatt Park. News is now. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Want to thank Fanshawe College St. Thomas Elgin Campus. The awards night was held last night for that campus, and my wife Kirsten and I were invited to be a part of it, and it was a blast. You want to know that the future is bright? You look at the award winners, and you think, yeah, we're we're in good hands. And the number of people last night who had either changed careers, this is something we were talking about 15 minutes ago, changed careers or had done one thing and then added on to it, kind of like John Stackhouse from RBC was saying, that is the way. That is the way you have to be prepared to go. And congratulations to all of the award winners. But once again, thanks. It was great to meet everybody. We have a couple of very successful individuals on to close out the show. They are on their way to our studios right now. They will be at Aeolian Hall tonight. Doors will open at 7 o'clock. Rain Maida, Chantel Kreviasek. You know Chantel from her solo projects. You know Rain Maida from some of his solo projects, from Our Lady Peace. I was just doing some math, and it took no long division, so I think I've got this right. Between them, they have won six Junos, and then Rain has another 25 that he has won as part of Our Lady Peace. Would you keep all of those in the house? Do they get a room? Do they? Do you just kind of sprinkle them around everywhere? You sit down. And you never have to buy flowers because you just put a Juno in the middle of the table. And then can you turn a Juno into a lamp? I I don't think it would be all that hard. I, is that is that blasphemy in the music industry? I'm not going to ask that question. But we are going to talk about a number of different things. One being moon versus sun. If you don't know, Rain and Chantel are married. And have been for about two decades now. They have three wonderful children. And yet they've had kind of projects that that went parallel to each other. Well, those lines have now crossed. And they started across for Moon versus Sun. And they have also created a documentary. And it's called I'm Going to Break Your Heart. And it is as real. It's kind of turn on the camera and here it is. This is not reality TV, hey, we're going to do this, and hey, Sharon, that's not what this is. This is as real as it gets. This is about their life. This is about the hard things you do. This is about the good things you do. This is about the challenges you face. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about their careers and a whole lot more. We'll take a quick break and return in just a moment on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Drive to play ball on tomorrow between 10 and 2 at Labatt Park. The London Majors are going to be there. The Majors actually begin their season a week from tonight. They will be at Labatt Park. They'll be taking on the Hamilton Cardinals. So we're a week away from the start of Majors baseball. They played some exhibitions last weekend against Michigan Jet Box. That's become an annual event. And so they're a week away, but just make sure that you take even two minutes and zip around the house, look in the old containers in the garage, and make sure that you collect up any of the old gloves and bats and cleats and things that you haven't used in a very long time. And then bring them down to Labatt Park. Thank you to everybody who has dropped off some of those items here at our studios at Chorus Radio London because they have already been set up and we'll take those there tomorrow. Source for Sports is going to be there. And they are actually bringing in some of the things that they have at Source for Sports so that you can try things out. Source has always been great for that. It's not, well, I like the look of this hockey stick. It's, well... Take this stick and go into the shooting range and shoot with it and make sure you like it. Well, they've got the same kind of thing for baseball. So, hey, is this bat too heavy for my son? Here, hold this. Oh, it doesn't seem too heavy. Yeah, but have you actually swung it? Have you actually made contact with a baseball or a softball using that bat? And if you haven't, then, well, go right over there and give it a shot. And so that's the kind of thing that will be there tomorrow, and you get an opportunity. I don't know what the cutoff is for age, but I'm pretty sure the rules are going to be pretty lax. So you get an opportunity to go to Labatt Park and actually play on the field. Have you ever stood on the field at Labatt Park? I mean, we're talking about one of Canada's oldest ballparks, the oldest, if I'm not mistaken, and I think the oldest in North America. I mean, there's there's always that, you know, that big discussion that comes up. I think there's a ballpark somewhere that always says, well, you know this, but I think Labatt Park has it because it used to be Tecumseh Park, right? So if you've never stood on that field, that that in itself is something. To go and watch a game there is pretty amazing, but to actually stand on the field or be involved in a, a baseball game, a softball game, That's what's going to be happening tomorrow. So between 10 and 2, it is the first ever drive to play ball. And the reason we are collecting up all kinds of baseball equipment has to do with something that's been happening for 25 years that has been kind of a combination between Middlesex London Community Housing and London Police Services. And what it has been is a baseball league for kids who would not normally be able to play in a baseball league. And it has pitted housing complex against housing complex. And what that has done, as Georgia Williams outlined not too long ago on London Live, what that has done is is it has given the ability for individuals in the community to mentor kids who who could really use a good, strong mentor. It has given kids the opportunity to, you know, run off that steam of competition that otherwise might go somewhere else. And it's been fantastic. But the question was asked, well, would we not be better served providing equipment for these kids that they can use anytime they want to? Because it's one thing to say, hey, we've got this equipment for you to come and play baseball while the league is going. What if you could say to them, now this equipment belongs to you. Now this glove, this is your glove. 
Now this ball, this is your ball. Changes things completely. So that is drive to play ball tomorrow. Anything you can drop off would be fantastic. We're uh, we're taking in our, our pink bat. I'm going to miss that. My daughter used it the one year she played baseball with the pitching machine. I think she was six. And I still remember watching her get her first hit. And now hopefully somebody else can swing that pink bat and get a few hits also. So that is happening. Uh, we have Rain Maida and Chantel Kraviasek coming up. They are at Aeolian Hall tonight. Doors open at 7 and they get going at 8. We mentioned not too long ago that they've been living kind of parallel musical lives, and those intertwined. I don't know how long it was, about six years ago maybe, and they wrote a song together. And then that became something that has grown into a project that is a whole lot bigger. And they will be performing tonight together. And this is not something that they have done all that often. And you've got kind of a a husband and wife who have been making hit music forever, and then all of a sudden you go into the same room in the same recording studio. You know, your best critic is often your spouse. If you can't say it to your spouse, really, you just can't say it. So having that kind of a dynamic in the recording studio, there are husbands and wives who work well together. There are husbands and wives that can spend 24 hours a day together, and there's never an issue. They meet at work, they stay at work, they you know pull off the, the home, they do everything right. And then there can be challenges sometimes. You know, it's the old lines. One of my favorite lines, how can I miss you if you won't go away? It's not something that is necessarily meant to be cruel, but it, it's a fact of life. It happens in sports. If you ran the National Football League 365 days a year with games, people would want it to go away after a while. There's a reason why the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is so popular and the Stanley Cup final is so popular. That's because in the middle, people kind of tune out a little bit unless their favorite team is playing. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where how can I miss you if you won't go away? you got to make sure that you give yourselves time. Now, in the case of Rain and Chantal – Sometimes it's too much time because they're touring in different places. They're on different clocks. They're in different countries. And so it becomes uh, an interesting dynamic to fill. Uh, Got an email from James. James says he has collected baseball stuff from people at work, and he's working tomorrow. He will get it to us sometime soon. James, that is not a problem. Even if you can't make it in today or tomorrow, we will find a way to put it into the right hands. And that's something that, that you deserve a, a big pat on the back for. So I, I get the feeling that, that this is going to be big, and it's only year number one. You think, if we can do this for baseball, can we do this for, for other sports? Can we do this to, again, it's one thing to say, come and play baseball. It's another thing to say, here, this glove belongs to you. For someone who doesn't have the opportunity to say, you know, I need a baseball glove. Dad, can you run to the store and get me one? Mom, can you go? Can you pick that up? If that's not feasible, let's make it feasible. Because what you learn from team sports, we'll have to talk about something next week. And it is what Norway is doing with team sports. Norway has decided not to allow travel teams until kids are into their teens. And it's been a really interesting case study. Because right now, we get into travel teams in hockey really early, like six and seven. And that's probably too early. 
You know, it's fun for the six- and seven-year-olds to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go and play Waterloo this weekend. We're going to go and play Chatham this weekend. We're off to Hamilton this weekend. It gets a little crazier than that. We're off to Italy this weekend. We're off to Los Angeles because some of the tournaments happen to be there. So it gets a little crazy from that standpoint. But what if you pushed all that away? What if, what if you took that away? How would it affect things? Norway isn't exactly a mega center for athletes. We're not seeing more and more NHLers come out of Norway. We're not seeing more and more, you know, whatever it happens. I don't even know what the national sport would be in Norway. It's got skiing's got to be up there, downhill skiing. So we'll have to see how all of that fits in. But it's something that we will explore next week. And something else we want to explore next week in a sports vein is women's hockey. And we've got to have a conversation about what the 200 women decided to do yesterday 200 of the best female hockey players in the world as they came together and decided you know what we're not going to play professionally next year because we have to do something we have to make this right and at first I thought you know I'm not too sure about that kind of you know don't play don't showcase what you do best all of a sudden maybe that's a little different we'll take a quick break we'll return with more in a moment this is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL In studio with us right now, Chantal Kraviasek and Rain Maida, who are on stage tonight at Aeolian Hall. Doors open at 7. Show starts at 8 o'clock. You have to check out I'm Going to Break Your Heart. You have to check out Moon versus Sun. And we've been talking about those things. Maybe one of the safest places from social media these days has to be on stage. You guys were on stage mm. last night. The Raptors were doing okay. And then you get off stage, Chantal, and... No. I'll, I'll, uh, well, I asked the during the show. I had to know, and someone, someone looked it up, and it was bad news. And the show just took a devastating <laughs> turn at that point. So upsetting. Do you guys talk about shows after the show? Because we were wondering this simply because your spouse is your greatest critic, right? So, do you allow yourselves to say, "Hey, you know, you know what you did there? That was good," or "You know what you did there?" Don't do that anymore. I th- I think by nature of the fact that we actually made a duo together, an, a project together, we're we're pretty confident in each other's competence and and capacity. But um, so it's I think it's operating at a certain level to begin with, and then if there's little little observations that we make, they're there. But um, try not like to this, sweat the small stuff. Yeah, there's always little things. But we I think know we're if just... it's just been a, that night. You're exactly. kind of looking more for just a vibe, and if the and that place, that uh, Aeolian Hall is a pretty special place. People I would love say it's num- I would say yeah. it's my favorite room in the country right now. What makes it so good? I don't, I don't know what's happening in well, that it's room. Haunted, but right? Maybe that's what no, it no. Is. It's it's like there's everything else, and then that room. It's really it's it's utterly it's there's a grace of God in that room. Have you guys had a chance to rehearse in that room when there's nobody else in there? Is it still the same thing? I mean, soundcheck was the first time I've ever been in there, and I and you kind of you got a feeling that it was there was something interesting about it, and then the show was amazing. Oh, it blew my mind in soundcheck, and then it blew my mind. But anyway, back to your question, we're trying to we're looking for that more just overall vibe of the show, and that's what we kind of base everything on. It's not about the little there's and mistakes are amazing. We were talking about it. We, we we have a podcast that we just started. We were interviewing this band in L.A. a couple of days ago called In the Valley Below. And they have a they actually have a film out as well. They're a duo, very similar to us. Married and, couple. And um, they've been playing 
the soundtrack they like live to their screenings of their film and, and i said it must be interesting because like the it's the film's perfect and like yeah the, we're definitely you know there's mistakes going on but that's amazing because these days like with music there's not a lot of mistakes you know so live kind of like going back to what you said live is like this incredible safe place to make mistakes actually Chantal Kravyazik Rain Mater with us I'm going to break your heart is something that a lot of people have now seen some people ooh okay well <laughs> Legally, i mean some then, man okay well let's let's say they've seen the trailer they've they've seen yes. let's they've seen elements of what this is all about What's that been like now? Because you've had yourself kind of out there as, you know, and, and the extended trailer shows you bits and pieces of, of your life, what's going on. What is that like to have people able to see that window into your world? For me, it's, <clears throat> first of all, you know, we, we made the film because we wanted to make an album and, and film making the album. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't show the authenticity of that process without showing sort of the backstory, right? Which is the songs are true to, to our life, our relationship, our love, and, and The struggles. fight we had before we yeah. wrote the song. So you have to show it both, yeah. you know? It's, it really comes down to that. And and also, I think that really at the end of the day, if you're not uncomfortable in what you're doing as an artist, then it's probably not that great. At this point, I feel like we've sort of, we've sort of said a lot of stuff and we we repeat a lot of that stuff and sort of recycle a lot of that stuff. And it's nice when we can speak to each other on a new level. And when we tell our personal story, I think that's our most personal story. I think we're making our, our greatest expressions, our greatest art, um, because we're not only challenging other people, but we're probably comforting them on a whole new level. We're probably telling their story. You know, I mean, I, I think that that's what it should always be about is truth and honesty on a level that we maybe couldn't have even expected from ourselves. And that's what this is. If you were to go back earlier in your relationship, could you have done this Never. in the no. same way? I couldn't have done it like six months ago. Oh, really? That's no. not true. No, but it definitely took, it, <laughs> but, took, yeah, I mean. it took a minute to, to, even just to realize the scope of what we're doing. Even even in, in the filming of it, it's like how raw we're going to get. And then at the end of the day, it's just kind of all out there because it, you Who know, cares? Yeah, like, I mean, like, there's nothing I mean, devastating. Like, you know, Rain we're, doesn't throw we're something sitting here at talking, me right? Yeah, you know, doesn't cheat on me. <laughs> I don't think. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's just you know what the best comments because there are we have done some premieres, so people have seen it and we've gotten feedback. And the best one that I've heard is is this uh, some some person came up to us in like a line afterwards and said, "Thank you. I just feel normal now." And I think like normalizing the fact that yeah, man, marriage is hard. Partnerships are right. a struggle. Trying to collaborate is it's not it's isolating. Easy. It's yeah. it's you get lonely in a marriage and you're like, What? And I can't tell anyone that I'm 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 in pain and this isn't easy. Like you go out of the house, doesn't matter if you're Rain and Chantal or you're Jack and Jill, you go out and you show up and You've maybe fought all the way to the event or whatever, and then you you get there. You, Hi, how are you? We're great. And everyone else may have had a similar experience. You know, it's funny. We had a, these friends years ago drive up to our home in uh, Malibu, and it was up the hill. And I'll never forget. I can't name names, but um, the woman. It's a it's a bit of a ride up the hill to get to to, to the Malibu house and. And uh, she looked shell-shocked. 
when she walked in the door. And I remember I, I had just had babies, and I think I was very sensitive and, and attuned at the time, and I saw her face, and I was like, he berated her the whole way. And I can just tell. Years later, yeah, they're, you know, divor- it was him, though. they're divorced, and she told me that was the end, that car ride up. But there they were in our home for a couple of hours, and she had to act, you know, strong and sure I take my coffee black and all of that stuff. 